0: Or we've been in a series talking about joy, and something that I realized um, moving into this week was, is that oftentimes, well, this is what happens. It, it, how many of you guys, did you guys have a, a joyful Christmas? Did everyone have a joyful Christmas? Everyone was good? Does the next day, did, did you feel the letdown the next day? How many of you felt the letdown the next day? I felt the letdown the next day. Uh, so here's what's really interesting that I found. I found that whenever we go through, so if Christmas is an event, If if Christmas is just an event, uh, oftentimes what happens with any event is that you like the, the pressure builds, there's like this mounting like expectation. You're like, oh my gosh, right? And then it happens and then right afterwards, there's this letdown and that all that joy and all that excitement that you feel like Christmas Eve night and all the kids go to bed, they're like, oh, kids, by the way, are not that excited to go to bed every single night. Christmas Eve, the kids are like, I'm, I'm going to go to bed. Can I go to bed? It's like, it's, it's five o'clock. Yeah, but the faster I go to bed, the faster that we get Christmas in the morning, right? There's an there's expectation. There's an excitement. And then in that morning, it's all the, pre- everything's out there and the family and there's coffee and like, there's just the, the warmth of just getting together and sitting and seeing the kids open their presents and just laughing together and they enjoy, you know, playing with toys or whatever's going on. And then the next day, it's, it's just another day. It was just, it's just Thursday. You know, you're back on the freeway. You're doing whatever you're doing. So what I realized is that we need to talk, it's great we could talk about joy, but we need to talk about something that I, I think is really important. I want to talk to you about sustaining joy. I, and let me back up. I, I don't want to talk about merely sustaining joy. I want to talk today about us growing and increasing joy. I'm not a, I'm not a maintainer. I don't maintain things well. So if you told me just to take something and maintain it, don't change it, just keep doing that thing, I would probably tell you moment right off the jump, like first 30 seconds, I'm not the guy for the job because I'm not a maintainer. So when, when, when I, if I, if whether I'm racing triathlon or we have one kid, I tell my wife, I'm like, well, we got to have two, we have to beat ourselves. So we have, we're, and then, you know, we have five kids and we're like, we have to have six. And we're six kids, we have to have seven. I am now trying to maintain seven kids. I want to maintain. <laughs> Like, I'm going to pass the baton and my kids need to get older and they can start having kids. And then I can just put those kids back in their parents' car. That's what I'm looking. I'm out on the horizon, right? I'm just, I got vision to not have to do this all over again, okay? So, I want us to be able to grow in increasing joy. Not merely maintain joy. One of the biggest ways that I can tell you that in my life that I've found... To grow in increasing joy is through community. Today, we're going to talk about the joy that we can grow in community. And we're going to come upon some things that, from a society standpoint, it is going to cause some pause because it goes against some of the things that we do naturally now. And I'm going to give us a biblical uh, reference and a biblical picture of what joy in community looks like and and what it takes. There's going to be four things we're going to talk about that happen to grow that joy in community. Let's read Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 to begin with. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to stop for a second, and I want to lay a little bit of groundwork. This is Paul writing this book. He's writing this letter that we call a book. It's, it's really a letter. He's writing this letter to the people of Philippi, the Philippians. And the reason he's writing this to the Philippians is they're having a little bit of a struggle. That They live in community together. They do church together, and he spent some time with them, and he's helped the formation of that community, and he loves that community, and they love him but they're starting to fight and squabble over some petty things. And they're starting to get distracted from the real mission of what it is they're supposed to be doing and loving each other and and going after things joyfully. So really this letter is written because the unity that they should have in, in their community, unity is part of community. The unity that they should have in their community is starting to be fragmented. And he also wants to remind them that in all circumstances, To find joy. That when we read this, what we're going to break down is community and how we can be unified and what pulls us together and how we can find increasing joy. So let's see what he says to them. He starts out. Now, let me say this too really quickly. Paul is writing this letter from Roman captivity. So this guy is being held captive. So it'd be like you or I sitting in a jail cell being held captive. And I want us to pay attention to Paul's heart, his position of his heart, and the posture of his heart while in captivity. He's in captivity. This is important. He's in captivity, but he's writing to community. When we're in captivity, here's my first question for us this morning, is our first thought to write with thankfulness to community? Do we turn to community? Do we turn to ourselves in that captivity? When you're in that tough spot and you feel feel locked in, you feel like you're the only person that exists in that cell, whatever that circumstance is, do you turn inward or do you turn toward community? Paul turns toward community and this is what he says to them. He says in verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with what? Joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So he prays with joy because of their partnership, because of the community that they've had. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion to the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share God's grace with me. God can testify how long how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And in verse 9, it says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes to Christ Jesus, to the glory and the praise of God. The first thing that I want I want to say is, to kind of set the benchmark for community is that you and I were 100% created for community. We were created to be connected to other people. We were created for humanity to be up against humanity. Now it can be frustrating and it can create friction and tension. So how many of you ever just, you're in a relationship and it gets frustrating and you're like, this, is, this, this relationship isn't right because there's too much tension. Now, I'm not talking about unhealthy tension. What I'm talking about is is sometimes just the friction of being in close proximity to other humans is actually a good thing. And you'll never experience the wonders of community if you're not willing or if you can't or if I can't withstand the tension and the struggle. That's where real life is. So, just to demystify community, it's not that community is perfect and the biblical community that we're going to talk about right now, it's not that it's perfect. In fact, Again, Paul's writing this letter to the Philippians because their community is proving to not be perfect. And he wants to encourage them, But you and I were made for community. We were not made to go this life alone. There was a study that was done that Harvard did, and it was a study that they were doing over an 80-year period. It started in 1938. And there were some famous men, because at the time, Harvard was a male-only college. Times have changed. So there was only men involved in this study. And they took uh, 268 Harvard sophomores, second year in college, and they put them into this study. And they wanted to follow them over their lifetime. And they also engaged um, some people from the inner city, some men from the inner city. And they wanted to look at the differences. Harvard educated probably came from an affluent past, and they wanted to look at people from the inner city, and they wanted to study what led to happiness in life. And so they they decided to do this over a long period of time. This study now has gone into multiple generations, which means that the original 80, or the original 238, over that 80 years, now there's over 1500 people in this study, because those people got married and had kids, and those people had kids, and they're having kids now. You, you follow what I'm saying? And it was such a fascinating study that they've now continued just to move into it generationally. And this is what they found. This is what, the, this is what Harvard found. And, and again, their goal was, is they wanted to reveal clues to leading a healthy and happy life. But they were shocked at what they found. This is an excerpt from this study. It says, Close relationships more than money or fame, I could stop right there. We're living in a fame driven, a money driven society right now. In fact, I will tell you that one of the biggest things on the minds of the young people, Gen Z, okay? One of the biggest things, the, the number one thing is financial independence and financial security. I'm not blaming them for that. I'm not blaming the generation for that. In fact, they feel that way because they they feel the uneasiness of everything that's gone on in society that was way different when I was raised. As Gen X, I was still in apple pie America. It just, this is, everyone did this. You didn't talk about certain things and that's just how it was. This is a far different generation, okay? Finance is a big deal to them. This is important. Close relationships more than money or fame. More than being that YouTube sensation that everyone knows. I talk to so many people like, well, hey, what are you going to do? I'm going to become a YouTube star. Have you had this conversation? <clears throat> and I'm not saying you can't do it. There's people that are doing it. But the point is, it's the fame and the money. Why do you want to do that? To be famous? Because of all the money that's being made. Those are both true things. But what is the study? The first thing that it says. Close relationships. More than money or fame. There's a standard we need to pay attention to. This isn't something that was studied over a year. This is an 80-year multi-generational from the smartest minds studying this. Close relationships. More than money or fame are what keep people happy throughout their lives. The study revealed. Those ties... Those close relationships protect people from life's discontents. It helps to delay mental and physical decline. Those close relationships become better predictors of long and happy lives rather than social class, IQ, or your genetics. You could be born with the best genes in the world, genetically. And if you live life alone you are not going to have a sustained life that's what this study is this is this is like i don't know for you but for me i am like this is mind blowing goes on that finding proved true across the board among both harvard men and the inner city participants you know why because relationships it's a flat line there's no bias your humanity is this, have you ever heard, you ever heard the term? You, you look at people, you know, someone, you know, the, whether it's a, you know, a prince or a king or a queen or someone who's famous, it's like everyone has to get up and put their pants on one leg at a time. There's the statement that I used to hear when I was a kid. Has anyone ever heard the statement? There's some other real crass, inappropriate statements that I could say to kind of point us in the same direction, Okay. But what this is saying is, is that we're all the same. It doesn't matter where you live, what you drive, how much you make, how many followers you have. None of it matters. The relationships are the determining factor. Now, listen to this. Those who kept warm relationships got to live longer and happier. And the loners often died early. This is the statement that gets me. The guy who does the study, he, 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 this is his quote. Loneliness kills. This is what the study has found. Loneliness kills. It is as powerful as smoking and alcoholism. We were made for relationship and community. Mother Teresa has this quote. In the very first part of her quote, she says, the most terrible poverty is loneliness. The worst poverty is loneliness. God has given us community and in community, not only do we find joy, but we can grow in joy. So let's talk about these four things. Number one, Joy in community is grown through prayer. Joy in community is grown through prayer. Paul, in verse 4 of this, this passage I just read in Philippians, the beginning of this letter to the, to the people of Philippi, he says, in all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with, I always pray with joy. Paul's joy is partnered with what? Prayer. Prayer is a partner. Joy. You start praying for other people, you will watch your joy turn around. In fact, I will tell you, this is a basic principle of what you sow, you will reap. This is is what I call a law of the kingdom of God. And, And I love laws of the kingdom of God because whether you're a believer of God or not, if you employ kingdom laws and principles, they work. So you can employ kingdom financial principles and not be a believer of God and those principles will work. So if you employ this God if you sow joyfully in prayer you will have a harvest of prayer for you done joyfully bringing you joy. Think about this there's here's Paul sitting in captivity he could be he could be moaning and complaining you know, pff, man, I just, my Netflix streaming won't work. I just get that circle of death. Life's so hard. And I'm like, try going to the blockbuster <laughs> and rolling your dice on whether or not the, the movie is even available. And then you get it and you know the fool that had it before. You didn't. He wasn't kind and he didn't rewind. Now that's captivity. That's tough. And then you forget to take it back and they charge you $17,000 for this movie that you're like, I I had to rewind. The movie movie wasn't even that good. And then we're going to like, oh, that's Netflix. I'll try Hulu. (laughs) You know, you end up on Disney Plus. I know where you land. Watching Mandalorian. Hey, listen, it's only in biblical community that you're going to find a group of people that there's this reciprocal value. Whereas you sow joyfully in prayer that you're also receiving joyfully in prayer. We can, because I'm going to tell you right now, we can find a lot of community in life. But this sets biblical community apart. Okay? Number two, joy in community is grown through encouragement. Paul says in verse 6, being confident of this, that who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. What's he saying to them? He's saying to them, hey, I need to remind you. I need to encourage you, people of Philippi, because you're starting to argue over petty things. You're beginning to, the community is beginning to break down. You're losing your unity, your stickiness together, your willingness to stick it out your willingness to stand firm, I need to encourage you that God will always stand firm in His promise to finish what He's begun in you. See, the people around you might tell you a different story because we're human. So sometimes we start something and we don't actually finish what we start. But God, see, He's a God that can't, he, whatever He starts, He finishes because He's a perfect God. He's, He's a powerful God and, and he has a, He's a promising God and whatever He promises, He can't go against. And so Paul's encouraged. And how many times do we need encouragement? Are you living life in a community that you belong to? That people are sowing into your life, praying for you and encouraging you? Sometimes you just, you have a bad day. Can I tell you one of the biggest things I need in my life is I need encouragement. People, you know, and, and this is the problem. This is what happens. We look at people and we think because of position, prominence, power, that, they, that they're perfectly secure and they don't need encouragement. Every one of you, including me, all of us, we all need encouragement. We fight the insecurities, the battle of insecurity on a daily basis. And we need encouragement. Sometimes you just feel horrible. Sometimes you just have a bad day. You need someone to encourage you. Don't you? You know how encouraging it is for that young mom and dad with a 19-day-old baby? To know that they can send a text to a community that will that will sow in prayer. That we joyfully pray for this 19-day-old baby. Do you know what that does for parents? To say, we know that we're petitioning God. How encouraged. And, and for Jeff to be able to say, be encouraged. Our entire church just prayed for you. Just prayed for your sweet child. That's biblical community. We all need encouragement. Amen? Philippians 4 once is, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and I long for, my joy and crown stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. It also says that we should encourage one another on a daily basis in Hebrews. It, it, we, there, there, there are numerous scriptures that tell us to encourage one another. Why do you think it says it so many times? God knows. He knows that if left alone that, that what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look in the mirror. I'm going to look at myself and go, Pat, you kind of you kind of blew it yesterday. I don't know if you have what it takes, man. And I can muster up enough strength to get through a, a small period of time to say, uh, you, you gave positive talk, right? You got it. Okay. But there you're going to hit those moments. You're going to need someone on the other end of the line. Someone standing in your proximity. And let me tell you something. If you're not in community, how do you even know how to encourage and pray for the people around you? You have to be connected. How do you know what I need in my life? How do I know what you need in your life? There needs to be, and I'm not talking about hundreds or thousands of people. You, you, Jesus had 12. We, you know, I joke about it sometimes. Like you hear this sometimes. Like, Jesus had 12, but those 12 knew Everything Jesus was walking through. They were watching him. They were confused by some of it. You may be confused by some of the things that people around you are walking through, but you know. And good thing it doesn't come to, it come to our understanding. I don't need to understand it. I just need to see it so that I can pray for it and I can encourage you. Are you with me this morning? Number three, joy in community is grown through a common cause. Joy in community is grown through a common cause. Paul says in verse 7 of this passage, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel. So he's saying, regardless of my circumstances, okay, it's right for me to feel this fondness and to, to to have so much love for this community, the Philippian people. All of you, why? Because all of you share in God's grace with me. Let's break this down for a second. To share, to, it's a participant with someone else. to A joint partnership, it, it's like to cooperate, okay? That they're sharing in God's grace with him. God's grace. This word grace is that which affords joy, pleasure, or delight. That which affords joy, pleasure, or delight. God's grace, it's God's grace on my life, and it's God's grace on your life that affords, that word affords, It's the idea that there's a big bank account, like we're trust fund kids of an inheritance. And this trust fund has an endless, like never-ending stream of joy and pleasure and delight in God's grace for you and I. But guess what? That account isn't solely in your name or my name. It's in the name of Jesus. And we're co-heirs in that, and we can go into that bank, and we can withdraw from that account, but we're all drawing from a singular account. Why? Because we're actually living from and for something that's bigger than us, and it's the grace of God. Are you living for something that's bigger than yourself? Is the biggest thing that walks into the room, whenever you and I walk into a room, is the biggest thing that walks into the room me? When you walk in, is the biggest thing in that room? you And here's, here's how you know. When you walk into church, when I walk into church, if I get infuriated and frustrated and I complain about everything, that's an indication that I'm the biggest thing walking into the room that matters. Because don't you know the church is there to serve me? Hello. So the thought of the, the thought of grabbing a paper bag and filling ten thousand pounds of food is like, well, here here's like five bucks worth of food. Okay, I did my good deed. Check that off before the end of the year. Okay? But I'm really the biggest thing in the room. No one's bringing me bags of food. If I'm not the biggest thing in the room, and I'm living for something bigger, then I am joyfully giving and generous of my time and my money. I show up and and I overwhelm with generosity the family that I'm part of, the community that I'm part of. That we walk in and we go, oh my gosh, this is community? This is where I belong? I am going, this is, I'm living, I'm living for the grace and I'm withdrawing from the account of grace that God has bestowed on me. And isn't this cool? Because we're, we're waiting in line together at the bank. God's kingdom bank. and we get, we get to wait in line together and we get to have a conversation as we go together and withdraw from the same bank account. Did you know that? You know the joy and the joy that we get. We get to chat, like, how was your day today? It was good. You know, no one's complaining when you're a trust fund kid and withdrawing from that inheritance. No one's like, the lines are too long. But we walk into church, we walk into community, and we complain. You know, they just don't do this the right. They, you know, we they. Let's take that pronoun and switch it to we and become part of it. I'm going to tell you historically. Here's here's where they lands us. They need to ride in the back of the bus. Those people are the problem. They statements. Can I, can I tell you something? Regardless of where I come from, the color of my skin, the language I speak, social, economic. Can I tell you something? That by the way, what I'm about to say was backed up by this Harvard study. You and I bleed the same blood. And, th- and this, is about, this is about humanity. Jesus Christ came back to restore what was broken in humanity. Not in the color of my skin. And can I tell you something else? Not in how loud I sing worship songs. Or not in how I worship. Or not in how I, I live relationally with Jesus. We have to live for something bigger than us. Our goal here at the Movement Church is to live for something bigger than us. To, to live because of the grace of God, to live for something that's much larger than us. It's a common cause. And that cause is the name Jesus. Are you with me this morning? I love how Paul says, whether in chains or defending the gospel, what he's saying is, when I live for something bigger than myself, I'm able to see past my own circumstances, my own obstacles, when I focus on the bigger thing. And some of us, really quickly, I, I, just want, I want to make this last point here on this. Some of us cannot see past our own personal circumstances. And all it takes is for us to pick our heads up and look past those to something bigger. One of the best things that I could say to you if you're struggling with loneliness, find somewhere to serve other people. you You may think that's the craziest thing you've ever heard, but I'm telling you, if you're struggling with loneliness, if you're depressed and lonely, find a community that prays for each other, that encourages one another, and start serving other people you very quickly are going to find joy and you're going to realize that you're not thinking about yourself quite so much. Has anyone ever experienced that personally? All right. All right. Come on. Number four, joy in community is grown through increasing love. Joy in community is grown through increasing love. In verse 9, Paul says, And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. What he did not say was, This is my prayer. Family, I don't stand here and say as pastor, I don't say, and this is my prayer for you, church family, that you would love one another. Just maintain that, okay? Just love one another. I love Paul's prayer for the church, for the Philippians, that you would love one another, but it would abound and be more and more increasing, moving, growing, developing. As your community develops, your love increases. You will be more joyful. This is what I I was I was watching a I was watching, did anyone heard of someone? Her name is Brene Brown. Social scientist. She's written a lot of books. She's kind of famous. Has a Netflix thing. One of the most watched TED Talks ever in existence. Kind of a big deal. So I thought well I should probably like listen to what she says because she's doing a few things. Nothing compared to me. Because I'm the biggest thing in the room. So I'm watching this interview and she said she made this statement. You guys have heard me talk about this before. She made this statement. She said What social scientists like herself and other social scientists right now doing studies on society are finding is that we no longer are gathering around what we love as a common cause. We're gathering around the things that we strongly dislike or we even hate as the common cause. And we're living in a society that's extremely polarized. So everything's black and white, Republican, Democrat. You, do, it's like Trump or vote for anybody other than him. You see what I'm saying? Which isn't very educated, but we're so full of dislike and hate that we get our common cause becomes disliking and hating that thing that's common to us. And Brenebren talks about this is what's happening. It's fascinating, the byproduct of this though. As we move to this polarized position and we begin doing this and forming community around things we dislike and hate, what it proves is this, that we can grow as a community in our hatred. This is important. We can grow as a community in our hatred toward a common cause and never grow in our love for one another. I do not think what we need is more hate and dislike in our country, or in humanity. Don't need it. I understand that someone can sit down and tell me the 17 reasons why we shouldn't be doing X, Y, and Z. Because we need to save a turtle. Right? So we want paper straw. And I'm not, I want you to know something, I'm not making fun of these things. What I'm talking about is like, we want paper straws, not plastic, because we want to save the turtle, right? And you could fill in the blank. We come up with all the reasons why, but it does not grow our love for one another. We've gotten to the point where we have begun, we, we idolize ideas. We put ideas in front of people. I I heard this guy speaking uh, the other day and he said, he defined tolerance. He said tolerance, the, 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 the definition of tolerance is sharing with equality, like a common care for people. I'm really summarizing what he said. Because we value one another so that we're tolerant of our differences. Tolerance today has become equality of ideas. And so and here's what I mean: if your idea isn't my idea, I hate you. And ideas rank higher than humanity. This this is not good. If you're involved in a community that's not praying for you, and that you're not praying for, it's not encouraging you, and you're not encouraging if that community is not living for something bigger than it's itself and if it is only moving toward a deeper hatred or dislike of whatever that common ground is, that common cause, I'm telling you, you're in a dangerous community. That at the end of the day, when you need that community most, here's, here's what social science, this is, this, this was the result that Brene Brown said she found. When life happens to you, when you need to make that text, at eleven fifty eight at night to pray for that nineteen day old baby, no one will respond. Because they don't love you. You only have hate in common. They'll show up for the rally, but they won't rally for you. Let's stand. I'm going to recap this really quickly. Number one, join community is grown through prayer. Number two, join community is grown through encouragement. Join community is grown through a common cause. Join community is grown through increasing love. Here's some questions that I need to ask myself that I would encourage you to ask yourself this week. These are the takeaways. These questions are on the app underneath sermon notes. Number one, I would evaluate whether or not you're in community at all. Are you in community? Are you just trying to go this alone? My suspicion is is that if you're trying to go it alone, it's because you've been hurt in community. and You've made the decision you're better off without it. Can I tell you that being in community doesn't mean coming and sitting in a seat? This is important. Being in in biblical community, being in community here at the movement church, being in community does not mean you come and you show up on Sunday 52 times a year and sit in a seat. That's not community. Because you can sit in that seat and never participate. You can sit in that seat and I may never know you, you may never know me. It's when we make the decision to not merely sit in the seat. Are you in community? Do you pray regularly for those that you're in community with? You got to know them to pray for them. Are you praying for this community? Do you know what the need? Let me ask you, you may have been sitting here for a day or for 10 years. Do you know what the needs of this church is? Not the church, the building, the community. Do you know what the needs of this of our community? Are? Do, do you know what it is that we that we need in order for us to function the way we feel like biblical? And by the way, do we know? Are you in relationship with somebody that we know the needs that you carry? How are you an encouragement to those that you're in community with? How are you an encouragement? Are you part of something that's bigger than you? Or is my whole life just living for the equation of one? Right? Like, look out for number one. I just want to multiply me. One times one is me. You you see what I'm saying? You know, God's an exponential God. He's a multiplying God. He's a God that speaks of harvest. He doesn't say, hey, let's all fight for that one wheat shaft in the field. In fact, Scripture says that the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. You know what that tells me? There's very few of us who are going to be willing to step into the community that we're talking about, that Paul's talking about. There's going to be very few of us that are going to go after it. There's going to be very few of us that are going to the, have the strength and the courage. Some of us will. And for the rest of you, we, I'm going to encourage you along the way. Every right step... I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to be praying for you. But you have to live for something bigger than you. This church is not about me. If you've sat here for any length of time, I hope you've realized that. This church is not about me. It's not about any one individual. It's not about God's grace in my life. It's about the grace that he's poured out on us as a community. And what are we going to go and do with it? Because we have a common cause. And lastly... The community that you're living in, that common cause, is it compelling you and inspiring you to live in deeper love for the people you're in community with? If not, I would evaluate that community. There is a truth in life. and The truth is that we need community, we need each other, and we need solid biblical community. And I want to tell you that your life matters. I want to tell you that your life matters for something more bigger than you. More than just your existence. That you have purpose. But your life matters. And that you belong to something bigger than you. There's something deeply powerful about that. My prayer for us this next year, as we move into this new year of 2020, Ha. Ah. I felt like the Lord said, you know, 2020 hindsight, as we move into the year of 2020, I'm going to ask God to give us perfect hindsight to be able to look back in history at our yesteryears to make adjustments, to not fall victim to the same things that we've been tripped up by. So that in 2020, we can walk with freedom and not get tripped up any longer by the things we keep tripping over. We need 2020 hindsight. Okay. So this is what we're walking into. So we're walking into a year where I want to see increasing joy for us. I wanna see increasing multiplication for us. I wanna see us go after the harvest with joy. I wanna see us prayerfully go after things as a community. I wanna see us be an encouragement to one another. We're gonna live for a common cause that's bigger than ourselves, and we will live in increasing love for one another. And that, by the way, God says that's how they know. Because we what? Love one another. Are you with me this year? Let's pray. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, every single person, if you're in the room, I want you to listen to this question carefully. If you're in the room, if you're at home and you're sitting and watching, and God might be pulling on your heart right now, sitting and watching at home, saying, I want you to stop watching at home and I want you to drive the five miles and I want you to go to the building so that you can rub up against and feel the tension and the friction and the encouragement and the prayer and be known I want you to have the courage of stepping into community for those of you in the room if you need the type of community that Paul just showed us raise your hand I'm not asking whether or not you have it or not this is is an acknowledgement that you need it Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that every hand raised, every home represented, every heart involved, God, that you would break in. You would do what it takes to break in to the hearts of each one of us. To be daring, to be leaders in this way. To say, I'll go first, I'll jump first, I'll jump into community first, I'll be the first to pray, I'll be the first to encourage. I'll be the first to love. I'll be the first to say I'm living for something bigger than myself. But I'm going to do it. Or that every single one of us need this type of community. Lord, you have given this community to us in the form of your church. It's up to us to operate, to activate, and to walk it out. So give us the courage to do it. I thank you, Lord Jesus. Jesus' powerful name, everyone said, amen and amen.